serving the people of the Hudson Valley. St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital proudly presents another edition of Doc Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. If you're among the 70 million Americans who suffer from a sleep disorder, it's really important to know that an inability to get a good quality night's sleep not only impacts how you feel every day, but can also seriously affect your overall health. My guest today is Dr. Anita Bola. She's the medical director of the Sleep Center of the Cornwall Campus at St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bola. Let's start with sleep apnea. Please explain for the listeners what it is and who is at most risk. Hi, Melanie, and thanks for having me here today. Um, So sleep apnea is a common name for obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, the other less common type of uh, sleep apnea is also is called central sleep apnea. Um, apnea is basically it's it's Greek for absence of breathing, and um, so sleep apnea is a serious um, uh, sleep disorder that occurs when a person's breathing is interrupted repeatedly during sleep, sometimes over a hundred times uh, per hour of sleep. Each episode can last 10 seconds or longer, and they can be pretty scary. These episodes recur night after night, and they've been going on for several years before the patient uh, becomes symptomatic and and seeks evaluation. Um, And uh, sleep apnea occurs because of obstruction of the um, muscles of the back of the throat, what we call the upper airway. Uh, These muscles... Uh, relax during sleep, and the tissues tend to cave in, blocking the airway. So as a result of this, the oxygen, the brain and the rest of the body may not get enough oxygen during these episodes, and fortunately, these episodes are transient, but they do um, uh, result in recurrent arousals and awakenings, um, and therefore fragment uh, the sleep. Uh, So it's almost like you know, you're sleeping eight hours, but it's eight hours of chopped up or um, fragmented sleep where it's almost like somebody poking you in the ribs, you know, multiple times at night. And this, when it occurs night after night, it creates a state of sleep deprivation. So there are two things that are important that happen. One is that the oxygen level tends to transiently drop multiple times due to this blockage of the upper airway, and sleep tends to get fragmented, causing a state of sleep deprivation, even though you're sleeping a normal number of hours, which we know uh, most Americans do not. Uh, We are a sleep-deprived society in general. So that's sort of like a double whammy. Now, um, over uh, 20 million Americans may have sleep apnea, and the numbers just seem to be growing. Um, And and the estimates are that uh, it's it's seen in about 4% of men and 2% of women. However, in reality, the numbers can be as high as 24% of men and 15% in women. And what is most frightening is that this condition remains undiagnosed in 80 to 90% of people who have it. Um, And and a lot of these people are being treated for the end result uh, of uh, um, uh, or or sequelae of uh, untreated sleep apnea, such as diabetes or high blood pressure, depression, etc. Who notices the symptoms, Dr. Bola? Is it a loved one? You mentioned that, you know, people are feeling sleepy in the day and you mentioned some of the symptoms, but generally when you see it, is it is it partners pushing their partners in saying, you're snoring and you need to get in and get this checked out? Right. 
So, so the common symptoms of sleep apnea include snoring, um, breathing pauses, also known as witnessed apneas. Witnessed apneas meaning they're witnessed by a bed partner uh, or somebody else. Um, and these can be quite frightening to the bed partner. Um, uh, other symptoms include multiple awakenings during the night, often uh, increased urination, um, um, sleep is restless, and patients wake up feeling fatigued and um, um, and uh, report daytime sleepiness in various sedentary situations. Um, they often fall asleep at the wheel and uh, could have, um, you know, motor vehicle accidents. Um, in addition, uh, patients may report poor concentration, memory, focusing problems, or sometimes even just a, a writer's block. Uh, you know, if if you're on one of those jobs that involves, uh, you know, writing or um, concentrating on on scripts. Um, patients often have morning headaches. Um, um, they may develop personality changes, irritability, and, and often mood disorders such as depression and anxiety uh, can set in. Now, it's important to note that women uh, ha- are less likely to have the classic symptoms of snoring and breathing pauses as we know um, uh, the symptoms of, of sleep apnea. Women present less with these classic symptoms uh, and tend to report more of daytime fatigue and morning headaches and depression, and women often uh, are undiagnosed, underdiagnosed. Uh, now, in terms of who notices the symptom, well, it's often the bed partner who first notices the symptoms of snoring and breathing pauses and encourages the patient to seek evaluation. Now, since women have a lower threshold for symptom perception, I see in my practice um, that uh, a lot more men are referred by their wives than the other way around. And I often tell men how lucky they are that they're being referred by their wives. Uh, but uh, occasionally, patients will just self-awaken um, from these snoring episodes um, or gasping and choking during sleep. Um, and they may bring in an audio recording of a snoring, or they may bring in a Fitbit uh, to show me multiple interruptions to their sleep. Um, and most people just drag during the day and have daytime sleepiness. One other thing I've noticed that occasionally patients, when they undergo, let's say, a procedure such as a colonoscopy under anesthesia, uh, or sedation, uh, they may be told by the anesthesiologist that they stop breathing uh, and they may possibly have sleep apnea. So that's another source where patients could be referred from. So now let's get into diagnosis. If they've got all these symptoms, if they've come in to see you, tell us a little bit about how you diagnose sleep apnea. What is that sleep study like? Because people are afraid. They think, I'm not going to get a good night's sleep with someone watching me. Tell them a little bit about it, and then let's get into some treatments in the time that we have left. Sure. Um, So uh, diagnosis begins with a careful history and physical exam uh, along with sleeping questionnaires, and this could be done by your primary care physician or your primary care physician may refer you to a sleep specialist such as myself, uh, and I do a thorough evaluation uh, and physical exam. Um, And and then if uh, I suspect sleep apnea, if the physician uh, suspects sleep apnea, they may refer your patient to a sleep center to undergo a formal uh, sleep test, which is also known as a nocturnal polysomnogram. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a recording of the nighttime events. Um, the patient uh, goes into the facility, um, also known as a sleep lab, and uh, the technician will spend about an hour hooking up the patient with electrodes 
uh, and monitors all over the body to analyze different physiological parameters, uh, um, such as the brain waves, um, the breathing, uh, the respirations, and the heart rate, etc., um, while the patient is sleeping. Um, and um, this is a recording of the entire night. And sometimes in, in night shift workers, we perform the study during the daytime. Um, so once the study is performed, um, the um, uh, the study is read and the results are sent to the referring physician. And basically what we do is we calculate how many times the patient stops breathing per hour of sleep and how long each episode is and how lo low does your oxygen level drop. So these are important parameters. And how low is your... Uh, deep sleep and REM sleep, etc. So to officially diagnose sleep apnea, uh, you need to have uh, you need to stop breathing um, uh, uh, either completely or partially for at least 10 seconds or more uh, for at least 15 times per hour of sleep. But if you are symptomatic, meaning if you have daytime sleepiness or if you have other medical conditions such as depression, insomnia. Uh, or high blood pressure, that count can be as low as five. So if you stop breathing more than five times per hour of sleep and you have other symptoms, that indicates that you have sleep apnea. Now, snoring is also detected during a sleep study as, um, as well as other um, uh, parameters such as leg movements, um, uh, etc. So um, that is how we diagnose uh, sleep apnea and um, uh, we'll call the patient back um, to discuss the results of the sleep study, and then it's determined whether the patient, if the patient has sleep apnea, whether they go on to a second study known as a titration study. So now let's get into treatments, and I'd really like you to talk about CPAP and adherence because that seems to be the compliance to even using one seems to be one of the biggest things. So in just the minute that we have left, please just cover CPAP and what it is and why it's so important to adhere to your prescription. Right. So there are a number of conservative measures that we use to treat sleep apnea, such as weight loss, positional therapy, and, and certain non-prescription devices, um, uh, the, such as breathe-right strips and nasal dilators, etc. But uh, CPAP is the gold standard of treatment for all levels of uh, sleep apnea. It stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure. It is basically a small device that acts as a pneumatic splint, and the patient sleeps with a mask on and is connected via a hose to a machine which sits on the nightstand. And this pressurized air acts as a pneumatic splint opening up your airway so you don't stop breathing at night and your sleep is not interrupted. So um, uh, uh, it is very efficacious in decreasing daytime sleepiness, improving the quality of sleep, uh, decreasing the blood pressure as well as the risk of cardiovascular disease and works very effectively. Patients wake up feeling more refreshed and have more energy and are able to exercise and possibly even lose weight. Uh, their blood pressure is under much better control. I've seen patients go from uh, being on four blood pressure medications down to zero at times. Wow. Uh, but adherence can be a problem. And um, um, uh, there can be many barriers to adherence. Um, uh, which is why long-term follow-up of these patients is extremely important. It is important to understand that sleep apnea is a chronic condition and requires diligent long-term follow-up because even though the acceptance uh, to CPAP is high, um, in subsequent years, the usage of CPAP uh, declines and CPAPs end up sitting in closets. So if you don't use your CPAP, your sleep apnea is basically back. 
Um, and some of the psychological barriers would be that patients just don't like using the CPAP. They may have anxiety or claustrophobia to the pressure or the mask. Um, and um, um, there could be other barriers such as the pressure is too high or uh, the mask leaks or the mask is just not the right fit or the airway may be too dry. Uh, patients may also have coexisting insomnia along with the sleep apnea, and this can be especially challenging to manage. It's like saying, you know, I have difficulty sleeping anyway, and now you want me to sleep with something on my face. So in those instances, you know, we'll try and uh, teach the patient some relaxation techniques, um, maybe even prescribe melatonin or a low-dose sleeping pill uh, to acclimatize the CPAP. Uh, for a few weeks. Um, behavioral interventions are extremely important when um, adherence is a problem, uh, and we teach patients how to desensitize uh, to uh, the CPAP uh, and the mask. Um, sometimes we need to refer them to a cognitive behavioral uh, therapist, to the psychologist who works with the patient on behavioral interventions, um, and, um, you know, to improve self-efficacy. Um, I also educate patients, um, you know, in addition to doing a compliance download in our office uh, and troubleshooting uh, wherever we can, uh, I also educate patients in self-management tools and downloading a mobile app through which they can actually follow their um, their usage and compliance and, and, and educating the patients, I've, I've realized, makes a huge difference in uh, the compliance, because when patients are able to um, uh, be responsible for their own care, this helps in adherence. Absolutely great information. Dr. Bola, so give us your best advice as a wrap-up on just sleep hygiene, and what do you want us to know about getting that good night's sleep that's so restorative and so important for our health? So, um, you know, as you know, Melanie, we spend one-third of our, our lives uh, sleeping, and, and uh, our health during the other two-thirds is impacted by how we sleep. So it's really, really important not only to have a qualitative, um, um, in other words, the quality of your sleep needs to be good, but also the quantity of your sleep and your sleep hygiene and sleep habits need to be good. So especially in patients who have sleep apnea, it is extremely important that they sleep a certain number of hours, which for most adults is um, uh, seven to nine hours per day. Um, your um, bedtime and rise time should be fairly consistent. Um, the bed is only for sleep and sex. Uh, a lot of sleep apnea patients will fall asleep on the couch while, while watching television, and that's a no-no. Uh, they, once they feel a little sleepy, they need to get up and go to their bedroom, put their CPAP on, and fall asleep with the CPAP. Otherwise, they'll wake up at 2 in the morning and fi find themselves on the couch without the uh, uh, without the machine. Um, no use of computers close to bedtime, no use of stimulants uh, such as caffeine close to bedtime. Patients should also avoid alcohol because this uh, close to bedtime because this is a muscle relaxant and can make sleep apnea worse. In addition, smoking uh, close to bedtime uh, is a no-no because this is an upper airway irritant and can make sleep apnea worse. Um, I also tell patients to keep their bedroom uh, cool, dark, and quiet. Um, and uh, avoid large meals within um, two to three hours of bedtime because a large meal close to bedtime can cause acid reflux, and acid reflux is also a risk factor and can make sleep apnea worse. Um, so, um, But I think the most important advice for patients who've been diagnosed with sleep apnea is that you have a 
qualitative sleep defect and and i will i will be responsible for helping uh, you manage that but on your part you need to make sure that you sleep a normal number of hours the problem is that most pe- people are sleep deprived and they don't even know that they're sleep deprived um so it's important uh for a patient with sleep apnea to at least give themselves the opportunity to sleep 7 to 9 hours uh and once they get that burst of energy with using CPAP that they should use that to their advantage to exercise and lose weight Thank you so much, Dr. Bola. What great information. You are absolutely so well-spoken, and we can hear your passion about a good quality night's sleep. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Doc Talk, presented by St. Luke's Cornwall Hospital. For more information, please visit stlukescornwallhospital.org. That's stlukescornwallhospital.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.